So the reformer Martin Luther, sometime near his death, he wrote down the words, we are beggars, this is true. And there's something beautiful about this idea, especially as we view it through the lens of our great need for God and the salvation he offers us in his son. At the same time, if we're honest with ourselves, we find very little beauty in the homeless men and women we come across, even right here in Ocean County, stretching out broken hands for food and provision. There's nothing about that sort of life that inspires us. Beggar is not something we would necessarily put on a vision board to encourage us throughout our day, yet we hear the words of Martin Luther and we're moved by them. Truth be told, what we long for and dream of is vastly different from the category of beggar. Pleading for daily bread, not knowing where tomorrow's sustenance will come from, is not something we grow up envisioning for our lives, for the lives of our children. Yet in this prayer, in this petition, Jesus teaches us to beg. But what do we do when there's nothing to beg for? What happens to our prayer for sustenance when we are beyond sustained? How do we pray with integrity, give us this day our daily bread when our storehouses are full? And so this morning, we're going to wrestle with this petition. We're going to posture ourselves as beggars so that our understanding of need and desire would no longer be shaped by the patterns of this world, but by the kingdom and will of God. This morning, my prayer is that we might further see the intimate relationship between heaven and earth as God further sanctifies in our minds the very thing we call common. And so we're going to follow a simple outline this morning. If you, were, um, if you got a bulletin as you came in on the right side, we have uh, three points that we're going to jump through. And the passages that we're going to be working through will be up on the screen. We'll be in Exodus chapter 16 and we'll be in John chapter 6. And, of course, we'll be looking at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. And so this first point, a petition in context, right? Throughout this series, we've taken each line from the Lord's Prayer as an opportunity to understand the bigger picture of what it means to live our lives as sons and daughters of God. And my hope is that as we dig deeper into this prayer, that our own prayer lives would be changed by this bigger picture. Because the more we know about God, the more we know about his kingdom, the more we know about his will, the bigger our prayers ought to get. The more acquainted with God we become, the bigger our prayers ought to get. And so the questions we've been wrestling with over the past number of weeks is, what are we saying when we utter the words, our Father? What does it mean that our Father is in heaven and that his name is made to be holy? What is the kingdom and will of God and how does it shape and inform the way I live my life here on earth? And do these truths change the way I love both God and neighbor? Do they change the way we pray? In full transparency, I find myself praying a little bit differently than I had previously. The more and more I wrestle with this prayer, the more and more I dig into this, the more it's impacting the way I approach God. And so as we look at this next petition, 
There's a few things that kind of pop out. The first thing that struck me as I was reading through it is that it feels very common or mundane, right? We've just had our head in the clouds for the last five weeks, our adoption in Christ, the kingdom and sovereign will of God, the temple and the dwelling place of God, heaven itself, and now we're talking about bread. Now, don't get me wrong, I love bread just as much as the next guy, but, but it seems like we were up here, and now we are just kind of talking about the regular, everyday sort of things. What Jesus is trying to teach us, and, and it started with what we looked at last week, is that there is no real divide between sacred and secular, meaning... That God's hands are not off in the distance somewhere, but they're dug down deep into the soil of creation. In other words, God cares about our physical needs. God cares about our physical needs. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, one thing we can be assured of is that God cares about the physical. He cares about the physical. We are not deists. We don't believe that God kind of created everything and just set this thing in motion and then stepped back and said, have at it. No, no. We believe that God is intimately engaged in the everyday of our lives. And that, to me, is, is overwhelming and encouraging all at the same time. It's challenging and it's terrifying because, because it means like, whoa, like you, you care about my daily decisions. You, you care about how I use my money. You care about where I go. And you care about the things I, I engage in in this physical world. Yes, he cares and he's involved. The second thing that stuck out is that this petition is corporate in nature. We don't pray, give me this day my daily bread. But rather, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. See, this prayer, this petition, is prayed with and on behalf of the community. It's prayed with and on behalf of the community. What do I mean? Well, I think if, if I'm full and my neighbor goes hungry, then am I really praying this prayer with integrity? It's a question we need to wrestle with as we utter these words, give us this day our daily bread. So, so a couple things. What I'm not saying is this. See, Jesus was very clear that the poor would always be with us, right? Until kingdom come, the poor would always be with us. So therefore, I'm not suggesting that we are going to completely rid the world of poverty, nor am I saying that we are required to impoverish ourselves. But what I am saying, and what I believe the scriptures are saying, is that praying this prayer does mean that we cannot live lives of gluttony and excess, especially while those around us go without. We cannot live lives of gluttony and excess, especially while those around us go without. See, what Jesus is doing is he's urging us to re-examine our categories of need by adopting a posture of generosity and grace toward our neighbor. And if we're wondering who our neighbor is, then we simply need to read the parable of the Good Samaritan. So what's the point? What's the point? When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are acknowledging that God 
that the God we serve is not some distant absentee landlord, but rather he's intimately involved in his creation to the point that he cares for and provides for what is on our tables each day. And the second thing is that when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are praying with and for the entire community. And this means, and this is what I love about this particular prayer, is that it gives us the opportunity to be the answer to our own lives by living lives of generosity and simplicity. While, while not the same word, we see this theme show up in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. As the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution a need that was meant to be taken care of by the body of Christ. And they figured it out. They figured it out. Patch has brought up two very real needs that we can be a part of as we pray for our daily bread. We don't necessarily, like I said, just pray for my own daily bread. I'm not just praying for the Scalambro's daily bread, but I'm praying for our daily bread as a community, my extended family's daily bread, and even we're praying for, for our neighbor's daily bread. And so, like I said, we have these opportunities. We have this opportunity with Operation Christmas Child to provide daily bread for, for children. And, and not only are we providing physical things for these children, but, but spiritual bread is being brought to them as the gospel goes forth to the nations. And also with this opportunity in Seaside, we have, an, we have this incredible privilege to provide daily bread for people who are just a community over from where we live. And some of us might even live there. What a privilege it is to pray for our daily bread and to live open-handed with the good gifts that God has given us, to give to those in need. This is part of what it means when we kneel down before God and we pray individually and corporately. We're asking God to not only give us our daily bread, but to give us opportunity to be the means by which daily bread is given to others. That's the beauty of the church. That's the beauty of this family of God. We're in it together. And I bring this up a lot. I know I talk about this week in and week out. There's a few things. I'm sure if I asked you, you can tell me there's like a, like a short list of things that like John's going to bring up this week. And maybe you even have like a bingo sheet that you play to see if, oh, is he going to bring up Genesis 1? Maybe. I, I don't today. Maybe. I don't. I don't know. We'll see. You never know what can happen. There's a third thing that stands out in this petition, and I've alluded to it already. Most of us are not wondering where our next meal will come from. And to be honest, there's consequences to that. There's consequences to having a lot. First thing is we forget that it is God who provides for us, that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And as a result, we think God is out there somewhere, and that our provision comes from the grocery store or our 40-plus hours of work we put in every week. And the second thing is we don't really any longer have real physical needs because we can actually provide for our physical needs. Like, we all do need food, water, shelter, and things like that. We need those things, but, but we, we have them. We have them. And so what ends up happening is that the category of need gets replaced with the category of desire and a sort of idolatry begins to take root and we start allowing our goals and visions of success to be shaped by the world system rather than the kingdom of God. Remember the context of the prayer. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the kingdom and will of God that must shape and define what we consider to be a need, not the cultural air that we breathe. That's so important for us to wrestle with. This is, and again, I want to make sure that, that you don't mishear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we can't have nice things. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the things that God blesses us with, hold them loosely. Because everything belongs to God. Everything is his. He provides for us. And so we have this beautiful opportunity in Christ as the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus providing for others in our midst or those looking in on our community. There's something beautiful about God blessing his people, but I pray that we would never be blessed so much that we don't want to give up the things that he's blessed us with. That's, that's tension for us, right? That's hard. We don't like to give away our stuff. I got stuff. I mean, you guys have stuff, right? Like, I got a couple of things in my house that, like, no, no, I, I'm, that's mine. Like, I got, I got my guitar that I bought when I, was in, when I was in 12th grade. Like, that's my guitar. No one's taken that Fender Strat from me. But do I hold that loosely? That's what, that's what we got to wrestle with as we, as we look at this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. This is not an individual prayer. This is not a personal thing. But because it's corporate, it gets personal. Because we do belong to one another. That's so important for us to wrestle with. It's a hard thing for us to wrestle with. I think the ultimate point in praying, give us this day our daily bread, we're expressing our dependence upon our Father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. And praying, give us this day our daily bread with integrity means holding on loosely to our abundance with an eye toward providing for those in need. I came across a quote during my study this past week, from Basil of Caesarea, a church father from the fourth century. I want us to listen to this quote. And I'm not going to say that I agree wholeheartedly with this quote, but I want us to listen to it and, and examine what he's saying here. He says, who is a miser? Anyone who is not content with having the necessary. Who is a thief? Anyone taking what belongs to others. Why then do you not consider yourself a miser and a thief? When you claim for yourself what only was given to you so that you may manage it. If one takes another's clothing, he is a thief. Why should we give any other name to one who is able to clothe the naked and refuses to do so? The bread that you hoard belongs to the poor. The cape that you hide in your trunk belongs to the naked. The shoes that rot in your home belong to those who have no shoes. And so before we come up with all of the reasons why we might not fully agree with this quote, because I really, I read that quote and I was like, oh, like I kind of like shriveled back because like I, I know my stuff. I know what I have. I know what I'm not necessarily willing to give. I want us to sit with this sort of idea. And I want us to ask ourselves, what do we treasure? And what we treasure is the point here, and you'll notice it's the thing that shapes much of our prayer lives. Our treasure shapes our prayer lives.
That's just true. Think about your prayer lists. Think about the things you think of regularly. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm, I'm trembling a little bit because I, I, I know myself. And so as I'm, as I'm studying all week, I'm like, I'm sitting here, I was, I was texting with a buddy of mine who's a pastor and we're both going through the Lord's Prayer at our churches. And I texted him, I said, I said, hey man, I don't know how to preach this passage with integrity. I, I don't know how to do it because there's so much here that we need to wrestle with. What God is calling us to. He's calling us to radical generosity. He is, he is. And that's hard. That's hard for all of us. And, and some people are just better at it than others. And, and those are the people that we look at and we're like, wow, man, that's so cool. Like, I wish I can be like that. Has anyone ever said that to notice someone that's like generous? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know someone generous, like super generous, and you're just sitting there like, wow, man, that's, I can never do that. I'm clicking a lot here, aren't I? That's what's going on in this prayer, this petition. It's, it's getting at the real deal. It's, it's not as mundane and common as maybe we think at first. So I want to give a little bit of a backdrop, though, when we talk about this particular prayer. Our second point, what is it? If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 16, because while absolutely this prayer deals with the common and the mundane, there's also a bigger picture at play. Before we, um, before we read through this text, I want to just give a little bit of background information. So it's been about a month since Israel was rescued from Egypt. And while they were in the midst of escaping from Egypt, they were promised health by God. And, and God provided them with water in the middle of the desert, which is wild, right? Like in the middle of the desert, God provides water. And so in other words, God is already providing. And so the text goes as follows. Verses 1 through 12, it says this, They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Hold that verse in your head. You shall know it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you must grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you're grumbling against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of, Lord, the, glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And so God's here now. God's present. 
And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. A couple of things that stick out in that passage. The Israelites again start grumbling, claiming that their lives were better under the oppressive thumb of Pharaoh. Makes sense. God graciously responds to the grumbling by telling Moses he will provide for them bread, but he sets up some guidelines. He says, gather a day's portion every day, and on the sixth day, it will be twice as much in preparation for the Sabbath. In other words, I don't want you working on the Sabbath, so so I'm going to give you the opportunity to gather more on that day. There's meat at night and there's bread in the morning. And in verse 6 and 12, he says that he's going to feed and provide for his people so that they will know. So that they will know. So the purpose of this provision, this bread and this, and this, and this meat that they eat at night, the manna that comes down from heaven and, and, and the meat that they eat at night, the whole entire purpose of God's provision is so that they will know. So that they will know that he is the Lord God and so that they will remember that it was God, that it was the Lord God, Yahweh, his covenant name, is the one who brought them out of Egypt. That they will know that God is their redeemer and sustainer. That's the purpose of bread. A few other things which I just think are fun. The manna tasted like honey. Manna tasted like honey, which which is a reminder of what was in store for them in the good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so so even there we see there's this foretaste of Israel's, to use a big word, eschatological story, right? Their, Their kingdom story. There's a foretaste in the wilderness of what's to come. The point is that the bread of heaven serves a threefold purpose. It provides for and nourishes the people, daily bread, physical sustenance. It reminds them of God's deliverance, their salvation story, how God rescued them from slavery, and it provides a foretaste for what lies ahead. The bread in the wilderness provided a foretaste of what lies ahead. You probably could assume where we're heading right now. Turn with me to John chapter 6. And as always, a little bit of context goes a long way. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 51. So Jesus just finished feeding the 5,000. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's versions, it says that they were in a desolate place or wilderness. In other words, the gospel writers are intentionally pointing our attention back to the Exodus story. It's called an illusion, an Old Testament illusion. And so let's read through the text and see what we have here. Verse 22, John chapter 6. On the next day, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea. Uh, Let me read that over again. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. 
So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your full of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Like this is, come on, like you just got fed in the wilderness. You're looking for, like, what are you talking about? It's like, come on. (laughs) Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of um, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And I'm intentionally reading this entire passage because I think it's that important that we grasp this. So the Jews grumbled. Guess what word that is? It's the same word from Exodus about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How, do, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who's heard from and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he was from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. A couple of things. Because I don't even know if there needs to be too much explanation there. Of course, there's a lot in there, but I think the point's pretty straightforward. See, verse 26 seems to indicate that the people were only concerned with filling their stomachs. And it's not that Jesus isn't concerned with this. He's the one who wanted to feed them in the first place. But Jesus does something. He does something. He shows them what they are truly after. He shows them what they are truly after. And he very quickly interprets the bread from heaven as referring to himself. Again, notice the grumbling from the lips of the religious leaders. 
That same term from Exodus 16. Once again, the point is the same, only it's bigger. The point is the same in John chapter 6 as it was in Exodus 16, only it's bigger. Praying, give us this day our daily bread, serves a threefold purpose. One, to provide for and nourish us. We need to eat and we need to be provided for. That's just who we are as people. That's how we've been built. The second thing, bread is meant to remind us of God's deliverance, our salvation story, and how God has rescued us from our enslavement to sin. And three, it provides a foretaste for us as well for what lies ahead. And so one theologian says it like this, for Jesus, there was no opposition between earthly bread and the bread of life, for in the realm of the kingdom... All earthly things are hallowed. The bread that Jesus broke when he invited publicans and sinners to his table, the bread that he gave his disciples at the Last Supper, was earthly bread, and yet at the same time the bread of life. For the disciples of Jesus and for us, every meal, not only the last one, has deep eschatological kingdom significance. Every meal with Jesus back then was a salvation meal, an anticipation of the final feast. At each meal, he was the host as he would be at the great wedding banquet when we feast together with him in the house of Zion. And so, and so what's the point? That the bread in the Old Testament pointed forward. The bread that we eat together the bread that we will partake of when we, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, every meal that we sit down to is a foretaste for what lies ahead. And what God is, is pushing us toward as we pray, give us this day our daily bread, he's, he's reminding us, he's saying, as you give thanks, right? Like some of us, when we, when we sit down to a meal, we, we pray, we give thanks, right? We give thanks. And, and I've noticed that there are times where I give quick thanks, and there's times where I give a little bit of a longer thanks. Have you guys experienced this? Especially like when, when kids are involved, you start getting distracted. But what I've been wrestling with this week is that when I sit down to pray for a meal, what I'm actually doing is I'm, I'm, I'm reminding myself and the people at my table that this meal was provided for us by God, and it points to something beyond itself. It points to something beyond itself. It points to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, whose body was broken as we break the bread for the Lord's Supper so that our sins might be forgiven and we might one day feast with our brothers and sisters in the house of Zion for all eternity. Every meal directs our gaze to the kingdom. At least it ought to. And it reminds us of those around us because eating is something that is a community event. I know as we work and we're running here and there, we, we, we shove food down our throats, and, and that's not really the intention. I know sometimes we have to sustain ourselves. I get it. 
But food is meant to be enjoyed with one another. And again, that reminds us of the body of Christ. And it reminds us of the head. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We are reminding ourselves of what lies ahead. While we ask for that daily sustenance, not just for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters and neighbors. And we got to wrestle with that. And we got to wrestle with the things that we call need versus desire. And so as we close our time together this morning, my prayer is that we would remember who we are. That's my prayer always. I've actually been praying for my kids differently lately at night when I pray for them. I pray that they would remember that they belong to Jesus, that they are sons and daughters of God. Because I really do believe that our identity is one of the most important things. Because every other, if we can get that straight, if we can recognize that we belong to God, that he is our father and Jesus is our elder brother. If, we can, if that can be at the forefront of our minds, which, which when we sit down and eat, it is, right? It should be. That's the point. Then every other identity, every other desire, every other sinful inclination that we might have bows in submission to that identity. That's beautiful. That's how we fight temptation. It's not by just like by, by, by brute force or, or will. It's by bowing all that other stuff to who we truly are. I mean, that's my prayer for my kids, that they would always remember who they are. Because that's what matters most. And so as we close our time this morning, my prayer, like I said, is that we would remember who we are. We are sons and daughters of God, children of God. And childlike faith is what grants us access to the kingdom. A child is utterly dependent upon their parents. Utterly dependent. And and the, the younger they are, the more dependent they are. Our provision does not come from our 40 to 60 hour work weeks. Nor does our security rest in our 401ks and investment holdings. And for those of us whose cups are overflowing. We need God's grace to remain humble. God is calling us to live with our hands open. My prayer is that we would be able to both individually and corporately pray, give us this day our daily bread with integrity and see the hand of God in every good gift we possess. Every meal that we partake of has kingdom significance. Every meal is a salvation meal, a reminder of the body and blood of Christ broken and shed for our sins, an anticipation of the final feast that we will share together with him in the house of Zion. In the words of Martin Luther, we are beggars. This is true. Let's go to the Lord. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you with all of our hearts. And we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for how you provide and meet our needs, Lord God. I pray that we would remember how good you are to us, Lord God. And for those of us who have less, Lord God, I I pray, Lord, that we who have more would have eyes to see 
and that we would meet our brothers and sisters, care for them, carry their load with them, Lord God. Father, our daily bread is a reminder of our King. Help us to eat and constantly be, be, have thanksgiving on our lips, Lord God. We love you so much. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.